No, those were not my clothes that Derek was wearing on the screen, just in case some of you were wondering. I know, so good, love it. I was talking to a family in the cafe before the service, and they, they visited the church several years ago, and their, their first time that they visited was the weekend before uh, Halloween, where we come in costume to church, right? And that was their first time coming. They're like, okay, and they joked. They said, yeah, we went home. We did actually take the time to read your statement of faith. We just wanted to be sure. <laughs> this was a Christian church. We are a Christian church, but we do like to have a good time. So, and we're not kidding. The costume contest is for both kids and adults. So bring your A game. There will be prizes. And as you've heard us say before at the City Life Church, there are winners and there are losers. And uh, so I'm coming. I haven't, I've, 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 Vanessa always teases me for cheating every year in a costume contest, you know, accusations in marriage, right? It's healthy. And, uh, and so I got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to work on coming up for some, something new. I'm going to come up. I know. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you, Jamal. You're picking up what I'm putting down. Here, all right, all right. We've been on the men's getaway all weekend, and uh, just what an amazing time that uh, that we've had together uh, as a group of men. And uh, I've got a few things on my heart that I want to share. We're launching a new series tonight. This is going to be just like the series that we came out of, Open Heaven. I think was uh, just an incredible series for our church, especially the history. We didn't know that we were going to enter into this moment with North Riverside Baptist Church of them uh, making an offer of donating this facility to us as, as we announced two weeks ago. We're still working out those details. But we didn't know that when we went into that series but, that, but that's what that series was about, right? Open heavens, things that God can do that are just beyond explanation and understanding. And, and I really have a sense that this next series that we're going to be launching into tonight and waiting, and I don't know how long we're going to be in it. We're just going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit there. Uh, but I, I feel like this is going to be just as impactful but not, not so much for the church corporately as it's going to be for you individually. And I think that's going to make more sense in just, just a few minutes. But I, I did want to just touch uh, on the, the idea of the, of the men's getaway. Not, not just for, for the men, but also just for, for ladies. And, and just uh, carrying on that word that Penny had. And then when we were talking about uh, a communion. This idea that you can't, you can't do life by yourself. And... and, and uh, I was driving back from deep down in Chesapeake to, to be back here for the service. It was about an hour, hour and a half drive, and I was just praying for our time together tonight. And, uh, and just the, 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 the word that I felt like God put on my heart was this idea that there's, there's, there's times when the church does things that you know you're supposed to be a part of, and you couldn't be there. A couldn't be there moment means that there was something that was keeping you from doing it, even though you, you would have liked to have done it. Right? Your boss calls you into work when you, you weren't expecting it. Your, your schedule uh, didn't coordinate well. You had something happen in your family the last minute. Does that make sense? That's a couldn't, right? But then there's didn't moments. There's couldn't and there's didn't. Didn't means that you could have been there and you chose not to. And, 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 and what I felt like God wanted me to just share with you, just to press you some, is that many of you here tonight, you move from one didn't moment to another. And at some, point, at some point, you have got to take the step that God's putting in front of you. you got to take the step. You're, you're always going to be able to find a reason not to do it. 
And my encouragement to you is that when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to step into something, whether it's showing up for a life group or going to a men's retreat or whether it's the, the, the new ladies gathering called the well that's going to be meeting here on Saturday, it could be that you're walking through here on a Saturday night and you see somebody in one of the t-shirts, whether it's the blue ones for SLT or the ones that say kid life, and there's just a stirring in your heart and you know, right, that's God prompting you, hey, make an inquiry about get, getting involved in there. We're not recruiting you again because we need you to work. We're recruiting you because we know that there's a transformation that happens in your heart when you begin to do the work that God's called you to do. And so I just want to encourage you, right? You can't avoid the could moments, but don't let the didn't moment stop you. Don't let the didn't moment stop you in your journey. So, hey, also before I get into this message, I felt like, Claudia, just God put some things on my heart I wanted to share uh, with you as, as we were uh, singing that last communion song, just standing next to you there. And, and, uh, and so let me just, just share these and, and uh, then you all can just pretend like you're eavesdropping in the room. And, uh, but we believe that God speaks. Come on, he speaks. And, uh, and sometimes he wants to share those things just in quiet moments, but I think sometimes he wants to share them in bigger rooms because there is a, a collective faith that plants the word in the heart of the person that hears it. And uh, Lewis was one of my dearest friends, one of my dearest friends. We went on staff together at, at, at Mechanical Christian Center years ago, right around the same time. I was just there maybe just a little bit before him. And he fixed to me my first ever French press cup of coffee, Right? <laughs> And if, and if you, right, that was a long time ago, so in the early 2000s. And, uh, and if you know Lewis, everything, right, he had an engineer's mind. Everything was a process. I'll never forget standing in the kitchen of this little cabin. We were up at a wintergreen resort with the staff pastors at Mechanical Christian Center. And he was giving me detailed instruction about every step, right, that I was supposed to, to take. And so I think of him often because we have French press coffee every morning. And, uh, and I often think of Lewis sometimes pouring that French press. I, I think about that time, those times that we, that we spent together. And uh, um, he lost his battle with cancer, but he's, he won his battle with eternity. He won his battle with eternity. And, uh, and this is what I felt like God spoke to me, Claudia, that I want to I just give to you. This is out of Judges chapter 4, uh, chapter 4. And, uh, and, and soon, right, right into verse 4 a little bit, uh, it talks about Deborah being a judge of Israel. And then you jump down to verse 5. It says, she would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites, listen, would go to her for judgment. It says, one day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And she said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Now you can read this story if you're not familiar. It's an amazing story. Here, all of Judges is filled with amazing stories. Um, but if you continue to read through this, what you find is that Deborah had an authority. She had a victory and she had a song. And, uh, and I feel like that God just wants to plant that in your heart. That he's going to give you authority. Even over men. Even over men in this faraway land, in a country that's not used to women having authority, right? Can we just agree with that? We have our own struggle with that, but in some countries it's even a bigger struggle. And, uh, and if you think it's a struggle now, you should travel back in time to when Deborah was giving men instructions, right? And uh, you're going to have an authority. There's going to be a command that comes from you to lead people. Um, there's going to be victories over the enemy in faraway lands and in foreign places. Great victories. Victories that are beyond comprehension. But it's the last one that I, that I love the most, that he's going to put a song in your heart. He's going to put a song in your heart, even coming out of this journey of grief, even this journey of grief that you're going to be on for some time now. 
Even commingled with that, there's gonna be a song of joy and a dancing and celebration that's gonna come. Father, we just lift Claudia up to you. We thank you for her courage. And we thank you, Father, for the authority that she's gonna have for your kingdom. We thank you for the victories that are gonna come. We thank you for the times in our future where we stand on this platform in this pulpit and we're gonna talk about what's happening in Turkey and people are gonna think back to this night and this moment where some of them met her for the first time. And we thank you for the song that you were going to put in her heart, God. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. amen. I remember the first time I ever stood up in a church service very similar to this. It was at Mechanicsville Christian Center. It was in the summer of 1990. Uh, I had finished college. You've heard some of my story before and uh, graduated with my degree and then immediately got a job as a bartender. My parents were so proud of me. And, uh, and I, was, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, and, and my parents were hoping that I was going to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, and I would go to church with them on Sunday just out, out of respect, but I did not like to be there for worship because it made me feel uncomfortable because I knew I wasn't living the life that I was supposed to live. So I would always try to time it so I would come in at the last song, and, and that way, people wouldn't know that I haven't been there, right? Because it was a charismatic service like this, right? And so if you're paying attention to who's coming in and when they're coming in, then you're not worshiping the way that you should. Can we just throw that out there? And so, right, it's just every now and again, you open your eyes and there's more people here, right? And, and so the, the, I remember I, I, I came in and, and I slipped in during the last song, sat with my parents. They always saved me a seat. And, and, I, and I sat down, and, and, and at the kind of the beginning of the sermon, beginning of the sermon, that I don't even remember who was preaching that day, and, and whether it was, it was Paul Goodman or Carter Goolsby, and, uh, and, and it's great that we just have so many friends from MCC here, right, that God's putting this stuff on my heart as I was praying this message this week. And, and, uh, um, and they got up there and they said, I, I just have such a sense that there's people here who have friends who are in a place of crisis, and God wants you to stand in proxy for them as we pray. Now, I didn't even understand what all that was, but I had a friend who was in a crisis, and I didn't know how to help him. His name was Sean, and, uh, and I just popped up out of my seat. If you could have seen the looks on my parents' faces, right? They're like, he's not standing for himself, but he's standing. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> At least he's doing something in church besides coming in late and sneaking in. But I remember it was like, it was like I, I, it's like my heart got ahead of my head. Because if I had sat and thought about it, I would have stayed in that seat. But just in my heart, I knew I got to stand for my friend, Sean. And, and, uh, and other people began to stand. And, and, uh, and, they, and, and they began to pray. And, uh, and I just had, I, I can feel it right now as if it was yesterday. 1990, summer of 1990. The liberty that I felt in that moment was the beginning of the change of my life. Being willing to respond to the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit, it set me on a course. And it was in December of that same year that I made a, a vow of devotion to Christ. And my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner because following after Christ with all of your heart is the greatest adventure that you could ever find and that you could ever have. I, I got, I, you know, I'm not an especially emotional person. I, I joke with my friends just recently. We were just talking about just some moments of authenticity. I said, I, most of the time I feel like the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz, you know? Is there a heart in there somewhere, right? And, uh, 
But at the men's getaway, I, was, I, was, I found myself just, just uh, in a moment where I was by myself and I was just, I was overcome with emotion that uh, the family that I have, the wife that I have, the kids that I have, right? And, and there's choices that I made back then that could have derailed all of that, but by the grace of God, but by the grace of God. So no matter how you came in here tonight, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you have a chance and an opportunity to make new decisions for a new future that God has dreamed for you. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be the greatest adventure that you could ever live. If you're a young person in here and you're wondering, is Christianity is going to be this, this boring, lifeless, what I'm telling you right now is that every time God says no to you, he's trying to protect you from mediocrity because he's got something better than this world could ever offer you. And if you're just coming to church because your parents are making you come, I'm telling you there's going to be a day in the future where you're dragging them along behind you. Because of your passion and your excitement and your enthusiasm to be a follower of Christ. In the crowd. It's where most Christians live their life, hiding. You can go to church your entire life. You get the little pin. I grew up in the Episcopal Church and every year they would give out these attendance pins for attendance. Yes. I never got one of those. But you can get perfect attendance for the rest of your life. Just be hiding in the crowd. That's what this series is about. For some of you, you're going to stop hiding. For some of you, you're going to stop hiding tonight. This is our series. The, the, the text I want to work out of here is just kind of set it into motion. We're not going to get through all of this tonight. We're just going to push it into next week. It's one of the things I love about these types of series. We can just keep, it just kind of flows. It's really just one long sermon that could last a couple of months, right? And so um, my wife says I'm not allowed to talk for that long. And so... I'm going to stick with the time that we have. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. Jesus' life is really divided into about three segments. There's the year of inauguration, there's the year of popularity, and there's the year of opposition. Three years of, of ministry for the life of Christ. The year of inauguration is just the, the idea of people just getting to know who, who is this person that's, that's doing all of these miracles and teaching like we've never heard before. And lots of people right throughout Israel's history have come and gone as prophets, and, but no one ever liked Jesus. So the year of inauguration is them, who, who, who is he? The year of popularity is the year that where they really entered into a belief that he was the Messiah. Now, some people were excited about that. Some people were angry about that. But the year of popularity, he was popular for some because they celebrated him, but he was popular for others because they didn't like him. You with me? It's not always good to be popular. It depends on the crowd that you're popular with. He's developing enemies at this point. And that's what culminates, obviously, into the year of op opposition. This encounter that this woman has that we're going to get to in just a minute is, is, is towards the end of his year of popularity. I share that because the people of Israel, when we read this story, they had every reason to believe that Jesus could do incredible things. I'm sharing that with you because if you're here tonight, no matter what you believe about Jesus, whatever you know about Jesus, even if it's just that you're familiar with his name or whether or not you could quote the Gospels backwards and forwards, God's already given you enough to believe that Jesus can do something great in your life tonight. You have the faith that you need to receive from him this evening. Numbers 15, 37 to 41, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel throughout the generations to come. You must make tassels for the hems 
of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. And when you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. The tassels will help you remember that you must obey all my commands and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that I might be your God. I am the Lord your God. It's a powerful picture, right, of of God. He's he's building a nation here, the nation of Israel, and and part of their culture was the way they dressed, and the way they dressed oftentimes had prophetic meaning, but this was very practical. It it comes prophetic, which we're going to get to, but at this point, it's just practical. It was this idea is that people were out and about, right? They were people then just like we are today there's temptation that's waiting for us out in life out in this world and this idea of tassels and 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 some historians believe that they took it to another step and they would attach bells to it you can imagine right that some man is in the marketplace and he's decided he's going to take a turn maybe he shouldn't because there's a brothel at the end of the street and maybe at that time there's a Another man that walks by and there's the jingling of the bell of the tassel of his garment. And in that moment, he remembers, I shouldn't do that. And conviction sets into his heart. It's powerful what God did for them. All the ways, all the opportunities he he put in front of them to, to challenge them to walk in righteousness. You get to Malachi 4.2. It says, but for you who fear my name. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free. Leaping with joy like calves let out of a pasture. That's going to be some of you tonight. Now what's interesting is is this word for tassel and numbers. I I try to teach on this text at least once a year because of just the, the power of the prophetic meaning that's in here. The word that is given to us in numbers for tassel is the word kanaf. It's an interesting word because it, it, it really just, it, it, it means the edge of something. So when Malachi comes along hundreds of years later and is writing as a prophet, and when he says there's healing in his wings, he does a curious thing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He uses the word kanaf. He uses this word kanaf to, to, to create the, the image of a, of a bird because oftentimes this word would be used for fowl because the idea of their wings were the, the edge of themselves as they flew. Now the reason why I think that God inspired Malachi to use that word is because he was setting something into motion. God is always telling a prophetic story throughout the Old Testament. And he was connecting what Malachi was talking about to the hem of the garment and the tassel because he wanted a legend to be born. And the legend that was born in Israel that one day when the Messiah would come, which is what Malachi 4.2 is about, it's a prophecy of the coming of a Messiah, is that God wanted people to believe that there would be healing in the hem of his garment. 
because of this word kanath that Malachi uses, and then because it's what's used in numbers, there was a belief that the Messiah, that not only would the hem of his garment be a reminder because he would be Jewish of walking in righteousness, but because of what Malachi said, his garment would be like, unlike any other's garment. That if you could grab it, there was healing. There's healing in the kanaf, in the hem of his garment. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus. Why? It's the year of popularity. Because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Another gospel tells us that she had spent everything that she had. And there was no cure for her condition. She's desperate. Verse 44, coming up behind Jesus, what does she do? She touched the fringe of his robe. Now, if you're just reading this story, you might get the impression that there's this crowd, right? If you've ever been in a huge crowd, maybe after a, 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 an athletic event, if you've ever been to like an NFL football game at the end of the game, right, you're just kind of swept away in this crowd and, and, and maybe you've been at a concert, right? And when it lets out, you're kind of swept away in the crowd and, and if you're not reading this carefully, you'll get this idea that here she is, she's desperate, she's kind of getting swept away in a crowd and she's just reaching in desperation and that's all she could get, but that's... Not what happened. She believes that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and she believes that there's healing in the hem of the garment. Not even a crowd could stop her from grabbing a hold of that robe. The strength of women, come on. All right, you don't have to clap for that, ladies, if you don't want to. That's all right. That's all right. And if you're married, man, and you didn't clap, yeah, the couch, I hope it's comfortable for you tonight. That darn pastor always setting me up. I tell you all the time, it's a points-based system. I just, I'm just lobbing them up to you. Just lobbing them up to you. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Come on. <laughs> Immediately. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is, is pressing up against you. It's one thing to come in contact with Jesus, but it's something else to touch him. He said, no, 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 no. Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble with fear and fell to her knees in front of him. Now, why is she afraid? She's afraid because she could be in trouble. Why could she be in trouble? It's another sermon for another time, but the Mosaic Law had lots of rules in it. 
And one of the rules was there were certain times and certain conditions and certain ways that you could not come in contact with other people if you're ceremonially unclean because if you touch them, you make them unclean. You make a rabbi unclean, you're going to die that day. I'm not kidding you. They'll stone you to death. Blood and her condition made her ceremonial unclean. Again, another sermon for another time. She's unclean. And she touches a rabbi. And she just doesn't touch a rabbi at random. She touches a rabbi who's on his way to try to raise some from the dead. Right? And Jer- I'm just telling you, Jairus would be the one to pick up and throw the first stone. What have you done? What have you done? She's afraid. Don't you love that that fear didn't stop her? Come on. She fell to her knees and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Listen to what Jesus says. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter's dead. There's no troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard that, heard what had happened, he replied to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, she will be healed. Come on. I like that story because... Jesus was already ministering to that girl long before he ever got there because Jesus doesn't have to be next to you for you to touch him. Every time I read this story, every time, I always wonder, I always wonder who else was in the crowd that day who needed the power of Jesus but were afraid to be seen, and they stayed hidden in the crowd. Who else in that crowd was desperate for something of Christ and his touch, but did not want to be conspicuous, did not want to take a chance, lost their sense of courage, lost their hope, and left that day without the touch that only Jesus can give? Afraid to be seen, staying hidden in the crowd. Which brings me to my next question. How many times do we gather here on Saturday nights needing the power of Christ but choose to stay hidden in this crowd? Comfortable where you are. With the smile on your face that's hiding the pain that's just beneath the surface. We come, we gather, Jesus is popular. But we're afraid to reach out. Because sometimes reaching out means being seen. But what I would say to you is that sometimes it's through being seen where your faith is stirred to a a place that sets into motion the very transformation, the very healing that you're longing for in your heart. I wonder if that's some of you here right now. Be inspired by this woman's example as we go on this journey together as a church over these next several weeks. When we get to the moments of response, like we're going to get to in a few minutes, what I would say to you is find the courage to reach for Christ. Even if, like this woman, you're the only one in the crowd, you reach for him. And I'm telling you, there's still healing in his wings. Lessons from Daniel. Lessons from Daniel.
If I say the name Mishael to you, anybody know who that is? Mishael? Who's Mishael? What's that? Not, no, that's close. Any other takers? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is that Dave? All right. Got a jump drive. City Life Magnet and a sticker. Although you're in our life group, so you might already have that. But you can have double down. You can double down. You can re-gift. There you go. Come on. We like the way he thinks. He can re-gift. Come on. You guys, come on. You're not going to clap for Dave. I know you're bitter because you didn't get anything. But that's right. You might need to stand for that later and get healed from that. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, we don't recognize those names because those aren't the names that made them famous. The names that made them famous is Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber. There you go. See, there you go. You're coming. You're getting there. Jimmy and Jerry Gord, praise the name. None of us would know anything about the Bible if it wasn't for VeggieTales. Where did you do your doctoral studies? VeggieTales. VeggieTales. Ask me anything. What were their names? Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now it's interesting, we recognize Daniel's name, which is his Hebrew name, but his Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, right? So he was, we know Daniel through his Hebrew name, but we know these other three through their Babylonian names, but their Hebrew names is where the meaning lies for us in this series, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel means God is my judge. And I'm telling you, all four of these names bear significance for this series. Because if you don't have a Daniel heart, you're going to stay hidden in the crowd. But when you get a Daniel heart and you begin to embrace this idea that God is my judge and God alone, then it begins to displace the fear of man that keeps you from reaching out for the hem of the garment of Christ. God is my judge. Have a Daniel heart. Hananiah, come on. God has shown grace. For some of you in this series, you've got to have a Hananiah heart. Because you look at your past, you look at the things that you've done, it might be that you're looking at what you did just this morning, or it could be that you're looking at what you're planning to do tonight, and you're saying, I'm not worthy. And can I just say to you, none of us are. And that's the beauty and the power of grace. For some of you, you need to have a Hananiah heart. Believe that you can receive the grace that God wants to freely give to you. Does he ask us to change? Yeah, he does. But you know what? He does not start there with us. He does not start there. He takes us there, but he doesn't start there. Mishael. Who is what God is? (laughs) What does that mean? It means there's no one like him. It means that there are things in your life that only he can do. I'm not telling you they don't need counseling. You need counseling. For some of you that you're in counseling, you stay in it. Even if you get a touch from him tonight or in this series, what I would say to you, that's not permission to stop doing the things that you've got to do to work it out. If it's medication, right, and you feel like God touches you and you're healed, I'm not saying stop taking your medication. 
Can, can we just agree? This is one of the reasons why when Jesus healed the lepers, he said, you got to go back to the priests, right? You, you've got to, you've, they've got instruction that they need to give to you. You've got to follow the wisdom and the counsel of others. But I'm just telling you, there are some things in your life that only God can heal. And this last one, it's my favorite. Azariah, it means God has helped. When you have a Daniel heart and a Hananiah heart and a Mishael heart, you get an Azariah story. You get an Azariah story. A story that God wants you to begin to tell to the world of how he's changed your life. Because you know what they need? They need a touch from God too. And they don't yet have a Daniel heart or a Hananiah heart or a Mishael heart, but it's your Azariah story that begins to stir faith in them to get the heart that they need to reach out for the touch that Christ wants to give to them. Daniel chapter 1, 1 and 2. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in, in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah, right? It seems like God's on the wrong side. Another sermon for another time. And permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. This is one of the greatest empires in the history of the world. He asked, anybody here collect things? Yeah, he collects things that he gathers from nations that he conquers. That's his collection. And he puts these sacred objects from the temple in with all the other things. So he's, he's gone into other nations. They've got temples. They worship other gods. And he's gathered all of those sacred religious instruments and he's put them in his collection. And here are the sacred objects from the temple of the one true God mixed in with all the rest. Daniel 2, 46 to 47, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. Now we jumped a lot here. And where we jump, the story that we leapt over is that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He wants the dream to be interpreted. He calls all of the, 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 the people that do that typically for him. And he says, I want you to interpret the dream that I had. And they said, okay, we're good with that. Tell us the dream. And he says, no, you've got to give me the interpretation, but you also have to tell me the dream. They're like, well, that's not fair. And then he says, okay, I'm going to kill all of you. That's called a hostile work environment. So the people that are tasked with going and killing all the wise men, Daniel's one of them, and when they come to him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's like, hey, what's going on? Why you got that sword in your hand? Tells him what happens, and he says, give me some time. Goes to the king. Says, if you'll give me some time, I'm going to pray, and I believe that God's not only going to give me the interpretation of the dream, he's going to give me the dream. And that's exactly what happened. He tells the dream, and he tells the interpretation. 
So now you can appreciate why Nebuchadnezzar throws himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifice and burn sweet incense before him. And the king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the, the, the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Now, if you're familiar with the rest of the story, it would seem from that moment on that Nebuchadnezzar would have established Judaism as the religion of his empire, but he doesn't. He does not. This is just a moment of flattery. He's simply saying, this is what he's saying, that your religion... I, I grant it, your God can do some pretty amazing things. So we're going to let your God be recognized as a God with all the other important gods that we recognize. We're just going to put him in the top tier. But we know that the one true God, come on, he belongs in a tier all by himself. I believe that, that some of you here tonight, you're... You're living a Nebuchadnezzar life. And your faith in Christ and your, your belief in God is just intermingled with so many other parts of who you are. For some of you, it might even be in a top tier, but it's not in a tier all by itself. You think about all the life roles that we have. I'm a father, a husband, a pastor, a son, a brother, uncle, Nephew, cousin, neighbor, right? The list just goes on and on. The more we list out all the things that we are, the, the more tired we get. We have a lot of life roles. But if you're approaching your life as a devoted follower of Christ as just one of your many life roles, then you're misunderstanding what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. It's not just supposed to be one of the roles that you have. It's supposed to be the context over the rest of who you are. I am a Christian husband and a Christian father and a Christian and so on and so forth. The list goes on. At some point, there has to be a turning point in your life when you are willing to acknowledge that Jesus should be the Lord over every part of who you are. Many of you tonight, you walked in here with faith but you did not walk in here with a mentality and a mindset and a perception of yourself that he should be over everything. Can I just say to you tonight that until you're prepared for Jesus to become the context over all of who you are, you will find yourself compromising in many of the moments, even when the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is now the bell on the tassel of the hem of the garment that gives you some sense of this isn't right. If Jesus is just in the line with everything else that you are, it's easy to be dismissive of the things that you don't want to do that he's saying to you. But when he's the top tier, when he's overall, I'm just telling you, it changes the way that you live your life because now your heart is postured with him in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar postured himself with Daniel. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was flattery. For us, it better be for real. Where we kneel at his feet and we say, Jesus, you're the boss. Direct my life in every way. So this is how we're gonna 
start our series tonight, we're not going to close our eyes. We're not going to bow our heads because you're going to have to be like the woman and reach in a crowd and be willing to be seen. You might be the only one that stands. And what I would say to you, you stand anyways. But if you came in here tonight and you know that I'm talking directly to you because you can feel it in your heart right now, that for you being a Christ follower is just one of the many things that you are, but it's not the one thing that you are over everything else. I'm just gonna invite you to stand right where you are. If you, if you can say, Jesus, he's just not first, you stand, you stand. Father, I pray for everybody that's standing right now. Come on, I pray for everybody that's standing right now. If somebody's standing near you, you stand up and put a hand on their shoulder. Gather around the people that are standing in this room right now. Gather around them. Come on. I know it's going to be hard to figure out who was standing. If you're here and you stood and no one's gathered around you, raise your hand. So just raise your hand if no one's gathered around you. We want every person here to have a sense of someone being with them. How about some people? Steve, are you standing back there? Somebody, we need some people gather around Steve. If you're in a group with a lot of people, break off. Come on. Father, I pray for every person that's standing right now. I pray that this story that we read wouldn't just be a story in a book, but it's going to be the story of this moment for their life. That Jesus, we know that you're not here physically, but you're just as here, just as real, just as present as you were 2,000 years ago. And I pray that even now as they stand, it would be as though they can feel the hem of your garment in their hand. And that the healing that you would bring to them is a healing of courage, a healing of devotion, a healing of faith to let you ascend to the place that you belong in a throne that is over the rest of their life. And I pray that from this day forward, their sense of identity would be completely changed and it would be made new that they bow before you in every area of their life, that even now as they're standing, Father, they would have a sense of every life role that they could put on a piece of paper, that it's bowing in submission, Christ, to you, making you first in every way. And that this week, they're gonna find a new strength when they face temptation, that they're gonna find a new power over the things that have been frustrating them, that they're going to find a new grace in situations that before have been hard and, and now they're just going to feel easy. And for the things that still feel hard, you're going to give them a perseverance to not give up. I pray, Father, that just as dramatic of an encounter that that woman had with you 2,000 years ago, Father, that even now, the stirring of your Holy Spirit in this moment, deep in their life, that it will be just as profound, just as real, just as life-altering, and that the Azariah story that you are building in them is going to be a story that gives other people a heart to find a touch from you. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Come on, let's stand and worship together.